0: Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 25. Psalm 119, verse 25. Before we really start talking about where we're going to be going in the next eight weeks, I wanted to start out with thinking about this psalm as kind of the basis of. Our prayer for these eight weeks, the basis of our understanding what Reformation really is, and understand why, at this particular time, in this particular day, uh, I felt a need, and many others around the country and around the world are feeling a need to talk about a call to a new Reformation. Of course, we know, or you know, because we've talked about it some, that uh, this year, 2017, is the 500th anniversary. Of the Protestant Reformation, the official anniversary. It really lasted and went on into much time after 1517, uh, but, but that's where the sort of the pin drop is, if you will, and, and the pinpoint is to say this is when the Protestant Reformation began. And, and it was on October 31st. We would call that, some people would call that uh, Halloween Day, we call that Reformation Day. Because it was, all, it was on October 31st that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the, to the Wittenberg Chapel door. Uh, it's funny that a lot of people, when they walk into our, our fellowship hall, or into our foyer, rather, and, and look around and they say everything, and they'll say something about, Th- those are beautiful doors going into your sanctuary. And I, I say, well, those are our Wittenberg doors, but don't go nailing any theses on them, okay? Leave them alone. But but I, I think they kind of carry with it a, 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 an elegance, if you will, that kind of reminds us that we come into this place for a different purpose than we go anywhere else. We come in here to worship the Lord. We come in here to, to see Him in all His glory and to hear from Him through His word. We don't come here for anything else. And, and so we, we recognize that, that there is a, a difference about what we do. But in our day much like in Martin Luther's day, the church has kind of become lax in many, many ways. Uh, Martin Luther pointed out to things like indulgences. He was concerned that Tetzel, the, uh, uh, the traveling evangelist, if you will, for the church raising money for St. Peter's Basilica, w- would travel through and would, would say, we can sell you indul- in- in- indulgences that will get you or some of your family time out of purgatory. Now, uh, he also preached in his sermons, I came across a sermon this week, I'll, I'll use uh, probably in my class tonight a little bit, uh, a sermon by Tetzel that said, every sin you commit gives you seven years in purgatory. Well, if that were true, uh, then, then we would all be in, it would be a long time before we'd ever see heaven, okay? But we'll talk about that later tonight. But, but Tetzel would go around and he would say, you know, when a coin in the coffer rings, another soul from purgatory springs. A very catchy little jingle. He would have done well in the 21st century writing commercials, I would suppose. But, but Luther said, this is just not right. This is, this is making an enterprise out of what ought to be a very serious matter, what ought to be a very serious point of the gospel. And so we all know that Luther came in his studies after he left the law. He was a law student. But after having been caught in a thunderstorm and crying out to St. Anne and saying, St. Anne, save me and I'll become a monk. He did exactly that and he went into the monastery he began to study the word he began to to think through all the ramifications of it he he studied the book of Psalms which we're going to look from this morning he studied the book of Galatians he studied the book of Romans and we all know that it's those those two verses in Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 that kind of became the pen upon the pen of the Reformation if you will which Paul said for you know for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ For for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And it's by it that the righteousness of God is manifested. The righteousness from God is manifested. The righteousness that gives us right standing with God, it's out of that gospel, not out of ritual, not out of anything that's, that's tradition, but out of the word of God, the gospel of God, the righteousness of God, is given to those who believe but we also know that luther didn't begin it years before john whitcliffe out of england had begun to see that the 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 scriptures had been played down and the church had been played up in such a way that the church and tradition of the church had authority over the scriptures and he became very concerned about that and one of his concerns was that that no one had a a, a bible in their language and so they had to take it from what the priest said or the bishop said as what the bible said so Wycliffe set out on a on a journey to translate the greek and hebrew into english and and he worked to do that and and was exiled because of it and and ultimately he died because of his commitment to the translation of the word of God into the tongue of the people. John Huss in Bohemia picked up on that. And John Huss said we need to get the word out to the people. The people need to know the word of God. The Reformation, when Luther comes along, is really about the word of God and about worship. That's what really is the central point of all of that. And Huss said we must rely upon the word of God and the word of God only. Councils, heir. Priest, heir. Bishops, heir. Popes, air because they've contradicted each other so one of them had to be wrong but the word of god stands forever and and huss said that must be what we look to as the word of god because of that he was excommunicated and ultimately burned at the stake as huss was being burned he said this his last name huss literally translated means goose and and huss stood at the the pole about to be burned as a heretic and he said you know today you may cook this goose but in a hundred years there will arise a swan that you will not be able to silence a hundred years almost to the day luther walked up to the wittenberg door and nailed his 95 theses to that door he wasn't trying to split the church he was just trying to call for some reform He was trying to call not to to start something new, but to say, listen, we have so moved away from God's word. We have so moved away from God's scriptures. We need to come back to the word of God. We need to come back to the revealed truth of God, not man's tradition. We need to come back to what God has said, not what man has said. And because of that, he ultimately was excommunicated himself, declared a heretic, declared a, 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 a divider, but yet one, a man who kept his eyes firmly fixed on the truth of God above everything else. When he was preparing for that reformation, and I I titled this sermon, and will barely refer to it, but uh, a monk and a mallet changed the world. And, And that's exactly what happened on that October 31st when he nailed those 95 theses, just asking for debate. But out of that, because of the Gutenberg press and other things that became able to print things and mass-produce things, his 95 Theses spread throughout the world, the the, the the civilized world at that day. And all of a sudden, a fire was lit, a fire was ignited that was a call back to the Bible, back to the Scriptures. Now, now we all know the, the five solas. We, we've heard them talked about, we've talked about them, but... In a call to new Reformation, we will deal with those five solas. Sola Scriptura, Sola Gradia, Sola Christus, Sola Fide, and Sola Deo Gloria. All of them Latin terms that are the central factors of the gospel. When you think about the gospel, I want you to think about those five solas over the next few weeks. Because they will be the, the anchor, if you will, to understand what the scripture is teaching, to see how it's taught latin phrases you might say well why don't you just say uh, by scripture alone by grace alone by christ alone by faith alone and glory to god alone because you wouldn't remember it that much if we just did it that way but these were the these were the cries of the reformation these were the points of discussion that luther so wanted to be had that led to his excommunication but but in the psalms In the Psalms, in his study of the Psalms, he saw that that the Psalms were prayers of David. Many of them prayers for the very Reformation that he was desiring. And and Psalm 119, 25 through 32 is very much in that vein. And and I would say to you that over the next eight weeks, this is my prayer for us at Grace Baptist Church. This is my prayer for where we would come to, where we would see ourselves, and where we would seek Reformation. Hear the word of the Lord as I read it. Psalm 119, verse 25 through 32. We could read the whole psalm, but that would be the whole sermon time. My soul cleaves or clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. In other words, when I confessed to you, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart that is a prayer of David before God for reformation. In his own soul first and foremost, but also among the nation. That is a prayer of David crying out to God and saying, listen, I I acknowledge that I have sinned. I acknowledge that I am in trouble. I acknowledge that I need you more than I need anything else in this world. And then he goes on to, to kind of enumerate what it is that he, he needs from God and what it is he desires from God and what it is that he wants more than anything else in all of this world. We talk about those five Latin phrases. I'm going to give you a sixth one that was very much a part of the Reformation but didn't quite make the top five. And, and that Latin phrase, phrase was, Ecclesia semper refundmande est. In other words, the church must always be reforming the church must always be reforming Luther did not see that there was going to come this point in history in 1517 when he would say okay uh, uh, the reformation has begun and in 15, in maybe October 31st 1518 then the reformation has ended we have seen the reformation we have been purified we have been made what God has called us to be and we'll never have to worry about it again that's just not the case There must be a desire of the church of Jesus Christ to ever be reforming, ever be. And and by reforming, what I'm talking about is not trying something new, not finding something new and contemporary, but always reforming back to the scriptures, always being formed by the scriptures, always being informed by the scriptures, and always being reformed by the scriptures. So, So there was that understanding that if we're going to be what God has called us to be, there will always be a reformation taking place. There will always be a need for things to change. And, and there are many reasons that we must always be reforming from Scripture. I, I did a, a Google search. Google such an interesting toy. But I did a Google search on a call to a new reformation. I just thought maybe I'd find a good sermon I could just preach to you, you know, and not have to prepare all week long. But I didn't find that. But I did find there had been a lot of calls to a new reformation. And and most of those have been calls to a new reformation away from the scriptures by people who profess to be Christians and who want to claim the name of Christian but want to move away from what basic Christian doctrine is, what the Apostles' Creed expresses, what what the scripture expresses. Several examples of these have taken place. I remember in the late 1900s. Doesn't that sound so far long ago? The the late 1900s or, or the late 20th century. I remember Robert Shuler out in California at the Crystal Cathedral wrote a book entitled A New Reformation and in it he called for a new reformation and basically what he was saying is we need to move away from Pauline theology, we need to move away from the book of Romans was one of the statements he made and we need to recognize in our day we need a new reformation of self-esteem. We, we need us to understand that we are not sinners who are saved by grace. We are just good people who are seeking God in every respect. He, he talked about how we need to look at, at God as, as someone who wants to give us everything we want. He, he, what our desires are our desires are or what his desires are. And I want to tell you, Re, Robert Shuler's New Reformation has had major impact. His, his whole possibility thinking has had major impact on the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. And not for the better. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about my self-esteem. Not my finding my esteem in Christ. My finding my esteem in forgiveness. Finding my esteem in holiness. It's finding my esteem in what I want. Regardless of what God says. So Schuler had a real impact. I remember I got somebody wanted those books in every pastor's hands so they bought up a bunch of mailing lists back in i forget the year it was but within a week's time i got in the mail seven copies of a new reformation i read it and then i took the other six copies that i hadn't read and i took them to a local bookstore and i said could i trade these in for credit on other books and i got rid of all of them and got some good books instead but shuler called for a new reformation that was totally unbiblical. Just less than a year, or right a little over a year ago, an Episcopal priest, Bishop Sh- uh, Shel- John Shelby Sprong, he called for a new reformation. As a matter of fact, I, I, I enjoyed reading his. his. He even has his theses. He doesn't have 95. He makes it much simpler. He only has 12 theses. And John Shelby Sprong says, you know, ch- charting the new reformation, the 12 theses. Then he talks about how basically that you know, the first century, they, they had Jesus come on the scene, and he does at least acknowledge a historical Jesus, and said, you know, he said some things he had never heard before, he did some things he would never seen before, so they started to think about he was, he was divine. And so all these myths grew up around Jesus. And this guy wants to be a, a Christian bishop in the Episcopal Church. He's retired now this past year. But his five theses were interesting. One, he said the first thesis is God. That would sound like a good place to start, wouldn't it? It said, understanding God in theistic categories as a being supernatural in power, dwelling somewhere external to the world, and capable of invading the world with miraculous power is no longer believable. Most God talk in liturgy and conversation has thus become Meaningless. In other words, we can't theistically think of God anymore if we want to really be reformed as a church. We've got to put that out of our mind. How about Jesus? That's the second point. Well, if God can no longer be thought of in theistic terms, and conceiving of Jesus as the incarnation of the theistic deity has also become a bankrupt concept. Original sin, the myth of the fall. The biblical story of the perfect finished creation from which we human beings have fallen into original sin is pre-darwinian mythology and post-darwinian nonsense of course the virgin birth is biologically impossible uh, so far from being the bulk work in defense of the divinity of christ the virgin birth actually destroys any divinity can't be a worker of miracles that was the fifth one Uh, atonement theology especially this is six atonement theology especially in its most bizarre substitutionary form, presents us with a God who is barbaric, a Jesus who is the victim, and turns human beings into little more than guilt-filled creatures. The phrase, Jesus died for my sins, is not just dangerous, it's absurd. Well, I could go on and talk about ethics, which don't exist anymore, prayer, which is absolutely ineffectual, life after death, which doesn't exist, and judgment and discrimination, which is absolutely useless. And yet, he served until he retired a few months ago as a bishop in the Episcopal Church. Or you got Bishop Karen Olavito in the Yellowstone uh, Presbytery, or, or not Presbytery, but District of the uh, of the United Methodist Church. Bishop Bishop Karen Olavito, and, and she had an interesting article that uh, she wrote about two weeks ago, three weeks ago in which basically she warned against worshiping Jesus and created an idol out of Jesus because Jesus was a bigot filled with prejudices. She happens also to be a, a lesbian bishop in the, uh, in the United Methodist Church. But it's not just the Episcopals. It's not just the Methodists. Baptists, this past year at the Southern Baptist Convention, we felt compelled to pass a resolution in defense of substitutionary atonement, not because Bishop Sprong called it absurd, not because Methodists said that it was out of the question, not because anybody else did, but because there were Baptists within the Baptist community who were saying we really need to move away from this idea of Jesus being a substitutionary atonement for sin. Because here's their reasoning. It just makes people feel bad about themselves to think of themselves as a sinner. You go on and on. (laughs) We, We could go on and on about the reasons that there needs to be a call to a new reformation. In our day, the prosperity gospel is making headway in churches and in homes across this land and it's not a whole lot different from the the prosperity gospel is not a whole lot different from the gospel in, in luther's day that was being preached or the church in luther's day which which just said you know you can buy stuff from god you can give to god and get something in return if you give to god he will prosper you whether it be in this life or getting you out of purgatory we also see entertainment as being central rather than worship lights and smoke and and all sorts of things that that look more like a disco or a a saturday night concert have become regular things in many churches just to kind of pump things up a little bit because you got to get people kind of pumped up to to really feel good about God rather than letting God take care of that himself by his Holy Spirit. So in our day, we have prosperity gospel. We have entertainment rather than worship. We have churches being more concerned about being politically correct, pleasing man rather than pleasing God, speaking what man wants to hear rather than speaking what God has said, and that flows out into every sort of avenue in life. We see the assembling together as the body of Christ on on a time of worship on the Lord's day as less important, so much so that anything and everything can distract from it and pull us away from it. When when Paul wrote to, excuse me, when when the writer of Hebrews, Paul didn't write, when the writer of Hebrews wrote that command, you know, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, for this this is the habit of some But it's important that the body gather for corporate worship and encouragement and and, and calling one another to holiness and and ministering to one another through the singing of hymns and psalms and spiritual songs and, and, and knowing one another's burdens so that we can bear one another's burdens. And on and on and on it goes. We live in a day when the church, in many cases, looks just like the world. just like the world. So because of that there is a need for a call to a new reformation, not Luther's reformation, but a new reformation fitting to our day. Luther's issues were with the Catholic Church. My issues today are not with the Catholic Church. I'm not a part of that. So so I would not call for a reformation there. I would call for a reformation In the church that I am in. And not just the local church, but the the church across this country that claims to be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot continue on looking like just a a social club or just a political activist group. We must come back to the things that Luther and his Reformation saw were important and we must see them as important today. That's why David says here, My soul clings to the dust. I I see need around me and my soul is broken over that. Give me life according to your word. The Reformation in 1517 was a return to the word of God. The, The Reformation in 1517 was a coming back to what has God said. In our day, we must return to that question. What has God said? And so next Sunday, we'll look at Sola Scriptura by Scripture alone as the foundation for everything we are and everything that we do. My soul is broken. My soul is hurting. Lord, give me life according to your word. You're not going to get life by following the latest religious fad. You're not going to find life by pursuing just what you want. You're not going to to find life and get life by saying, I am the controller of my own destiny. I am the captain of my own ship. I will do what I want to do. God, be forgotten. You're not going to do that. And David recognized that. He said, the only place I'll find life is according to your word. So give me life, or, or as, as New American Standard and as, as uh, King James says, revive me according to your word. Folks, if, if you're not in his word, and I mean in his word more than just Sunday morning sitting in here, then, then you won't hear. You won't hear with your spiritual ears what God is trying to say to you. Verse 26 says, When I I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. When I told of my ways, when I confessed to you, O God, not to anybody else, but, but just when I came before you in absolute confession as my great high priest, the one who is my intercessor and my intercessor alone, When I told my ways to you, you heard me. You answered me. Lord, on the basis of my confession, teach me your statutes. Teach me how to live. Teach me what is pleasing to you. Give me your truth. Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Now, see verse 27 here. He doesn't say, I'll charge headlong in and study your word, and I'll figure it out. But he prays, Lord, make me understand the way of your precepts. By your Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Let me see, let me understand. I I have a lot of people say, you know, I read the Bible, and I I just don't understand it. Are you praying over the Bible? Or are you just lucky dipping in the Bible? You know what lucky dipping is? It's the most popular way of, of studying the Bible. Uh, you just say, Well, I think I'll read this today. There go my notes. Lucky you. I'll, I'll read this today. And this says, But all this is laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Well, you go on and on. And, well, what's the context? What's he talking about? Here? I'm just going to read that verse, and I don't understand that. Lucky dipping. The most famous lucky dipping story is the guy who, who said, Lord, I just need some guidance from you, and said, uh, this is whatever it says here, I'm going to obey. And it says, and Judas went out and hung himself. Well, I don't like that one, so I'll do another one. He opens up and says... And Jesus says, go thou and do likewise. <laughs> Not very good Bible study methods. Lost my text here. But David, uh, David says, make me understand your precepts. Teach me by your Holy Spirit. Give me understanding. Can you seek help from other people? From your pastors or, or from a Bible teacher or somebody you trust? Absolutely. But, but first and foremost, before anything else, go to the Word. And go to the Word in prayer. He said, my, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your Word. David said, I'm weak. I acknowledge it, Father. I am weak before you. Would you, would you just strengthen me? My soul is melting. Strengthen me according to your Word. Do you get the pattern here? Your laws, your precepts, your word, your commandments, the things you've said. Do you see what David is saying here? It's all wrapped up in you knowing and living in and abiding by and obeying God's word. That's where reformation begins. Rather than your own thoughts or ideas. A matter of fact, David says, Lord, as, as you strengthen me according to your word, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law you know if you ask me tomorrow well you know i've got people coming to my door who want to talk to me and and they want to tell me their story and and tell me about their religion and, and i'm going to invite them in so maybe i can witness to them about the gospel shouldn't i do that i'd say no obey what god says here put false ways far from me don't even give them the time of day get back in the word teach me your law graciously by grace teach me your law now all the way up to this point everything david is praying for is god do this to me lord lord give me life according to your word lord teach me your statutes i've confessed my sin Teach me your statutes. Lord, make me understand the way of your precepts. Lord, strengthen me according to your word and graciously teach me your law. Now, in verse 30, it seems to take just a little bit of a twist. Won't you see that twist? Because that twist is important. David says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. And I set your rules before me. After David's prayed for understanding, after David has prayed for strengthening, after David has prayed to be taught by God, he says, Lord, you've opened my eyes, and, and this is my commitment. I want to be faithful to you. I've chosen that, I, that's my passion. That's my, that's my goal in life. It's not to make a lot of money. It's not to amass not to a great fortune. But my passion, Lord, is, is to go the way of faithfulness to you. And I can only do that by having your rules. And, and we don't like the word rules, I know, in the 21st century. But by having your word before me, ever. I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I cling to your testimonies, O oh Lord. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Do that internal work. When I read those last three statements, I've chosen the faithful way, I cling to your testimonies, and I will run the way of your commandments. I get this picture in my mind of someone who is almost giddy for God. Oh, Lord, you have done such a work in my life. You have have changed me in such a magnificent way. You have called me with such grace and glory, and you've shown me yourself, and I've trusted you. you. You've helped me understand how to trust you. You, by your grace, have shown me my sin, and I've confessed that to you. And, Lord, I am ready not to just walk into worship. I'm ready to run your way, run into worship, run into your presence. You you see, a call to a new reformation really is, to what we've been talking about all of 2017, a call to quorum Deo, living in the presence of God before the face of God, living under the authority of God's Word and God's truth, and living for His glory. That's what a new reformation will mean. A new Reformation is not just playing games religiously. A new Reformation is not just saying, well, when I have time I'll give some thought to that. And I realize we live in the 21st century. I realize you can watch cable news 24-7. I don't advise that. I used to be a cable news junkie. I rarely watch it now unless there's been something specific that's happened. Now watch it Time to find out what happened and turn it off. I realize we, we live in a day when, when, when all the entertainment we want is right at our fingertips. And if we can't be at home to watch it on TV and we can't go to a theater and watch a movie, we can pick up our smartphone and watch it right there. We are never apart from entertainment. And I realize that in many cases you can go into any church in many places and you can be entertained just as well as you could be in your smartphone. why there's a desperate need in our day to see that the Reformation in 1517 was important, yes. But just celebrating 500 years of, a, of an event and of a period is not enough. We need to be recalled to God's Word. We need to be recalled, reformed by God's truth. And we need to start with us, me. Crying out as David did, Lord, teach me, strengthen me. Lord, show me your faithfulness. Don't put me to shame. Enlarge my heart. Teach me according to your word. We live in a day. as Jude said and as Jeff quoted after we recited the Apostles' Creed, something we don't do often, but we need to do occasionally. He quoted Jude. Jude said, I'm writing to tell you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Delivered by the apostles to the church. Delivered in God's word. And, and Jude says, "I want you to contend for the truth that is there. It's an, it's an objective truth, truth. It's an absolute truth. It's the only thing that won't let you down. Let's pray. Father, we can look around our country and we can see apostasy to the truth rampant. We can see people like Bishop Sprong and the Methodist bishop who had departed from your words and are leading people by droves to depart from your word. And Father, while it may not be quite as obvious in churches we know about as those two, Lord, we see an entertainment mentality, a feel-good mentality, a mentality that just says, hey, everybody's God's children, everybody's going to be all right in the end. Why worry about it? That denies your gospel. Father, teach us your word. Strengthen us in your truth. Use us for your glory. For I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As our instrumentalists come to, where are they? Oh, I thought they. No, we're going to have the Lord Supper, excuse me. As our deacons come now and find themselves here.